loud noises. Hi, Faye. You came with us this time. I did. Finally, we have you for this episode three of the Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Very exciting. It's the Wheel of Time. Did that turn into the final countdown? I did. I wasn't supposed to, but I couldn't stop it. This is episode three. This has also been a really long weekend, and uh, if you can't hear it, my voice is starting to sound a little bit gruff. Sounds and like a little. You got a little bit Tom Marilyn in there. I got, I got a little bit Tom Marilyn. I'm a little bit Tom Marilyn. Man, I'm like a show tunes person right now. <laughs> I like how you're always like, let's not tr- let's not sound too shock jockey. Yeah, and I and I, I like just, how my default. I like how you're like the final countdown to show tunes. <laughs> Oh, that's not from Hamilton? I forgot. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> the final countdown. That famous tune from Cats. <laughs> you know, like, Alexander Hamilton, the final countdown. <laughs> it works. It works. So, Lynn, give us a call, man. We know. Yeah, we'll help call. We know what we're doing. All right. Uh, okay, here's the thing. This is episode three. The way that these all uh, released on, on Prime, we're recording these all on the same weekend, and it's... They're all going to be releasing on Monday, but we're just getting a great big pile of audio for you right now. Adam and I were talking uh, to Faye as we were doing for our watch longs in the first place, which we just ended for season one, episode three. We've been having Faye sitting with those. You know what? Just join us on the main show. This is still kind of cold open territory. We should get to the theme song. Uh, This is the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show. Twats of twats. And here's that theme. All right. So anyway, the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show. We are a podcast that is following the Amazon television show. Is it even TV? Can you call it that? I don't know. And we just finished season one, episode three, which is that the HBO like catch line. Is yeah. it even TV? Is I don't know. TV? You call it that. I sure. Know. I don't know. I'm just it's HBO. I'm just hungry. <laughs> so there okay. was a lot of food in this last. There episode, was. I must I know. say that looked like I don't know. Chickpeas and naan, and I, I that naan looked good. It I was did. Like, it did. How many people have naan? Oh, I thought it was rice, and then I guess that makes more sense because you'd have like naan and rice. It's mm-hmm. a lot of carbs. Anyway, all right, Faye. So we're just bringing you into the main show here, and not for just the segment of hot on twat. This might be really the first whole introduction that the listener has to you. So. Can you give yourself your elevator pitch as to why you're awesome? <laughs> why I'm awesome. So, hi guys, I'm Faye. Um, I'm very excited to be on the show with you guys. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while, and you guys have introduced me to The Wheel of Time, which um, I think I've told Adam before, I've had this book sitting on my shelf for like the last 10 years and just never opened it because the first three books all together is like something like 2,000 pages. Yeah, not small. Um, so... Finally, I was motivated to read those 2,000 pages, and uh, needless to say, I was hooked. Um, so now very excited to see what the show has been doing um, to bring my mind palace alive. <laughs> I think it's funny you mentioned that you had it on your shelf for that long, because growing up, I also had it. My dad bought it, and it was on my shelf forever. I think every household in America actually has a copy of The Wheel of Time somewhere. So if you can find yours. You should read it. They have Footprints in the Sand on the wall, and they have The Wheel of Time on the bookshelf. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. Yeah. And then, like, you unlock a door. Time. And Wheel Live, of Time laugh, is right love, there. Eye of the World, a bunch of Tupperware <laughs> that has, like, 
tomato sauce stained on the inside in the cabinets. Uh, With no lids. No lids, yeah. That, this is a real uh, United States-centric joke. Again, hello, Europe. Welcome back. I'm sure they have Tupperware there, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome aboard, Faye. Adam and I are both very happy to have you on here. And, uh, like, this is, this is it's going to be fun. Uh, speaking of being on here, uh, we are going to go to a new location today. Adam, where are we going to go? I would really like to go to this cave that has this beautiful spring that is now infested with blood. That is yeah. my jam. That is how you keep yourself young. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go there, have a soak, and talk about episode three, The Wheel of Time, uh, which is a place of safety, I think was the name of this one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is probably the last time we're going to see this in the show, at least in this season. So... Here we go. This is kind of nice. I like it. Whoa. Oh, somebody. Sorry. Whoa. Echo. I hate you. This is great. Guys. Hey. Hello. 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 You don't have to do the echoes, guys. I'm making the echoes happen. They're actually. Oh. <laughs> you don't need to say at the end. The walkie just does it for you. <laughs> And for good, buddy. <laughs> All right. So what we've been starting off with is a kind of a recap synopsis of it. Um, also, I love this show, man. I am fucking so into it right now. I hope you guys are on the same page with, or at least kind of in the same page with me. But I'm I'm very thoroughly enjoying what we're seeing so far. So uh, as a recap, we start off with uh, Nynaeve. She's alive, as we saw at the end of season, uh, excuse me, of episode two. Um, this carries into what happened to her as she was carried off at the Beltine Massacre. Uh, with um, the Trolloc. Uh, yeah, she, in this very cave, um, she uh, escapes her captor by killing it with its own weapon. That was pretty awesome. Um, the party is now split after Shader Logoth, so we have Egwene, or Egwene, Egwene, and Egwene. Egwene and Perrin going off in one direction, <laughs> Matt and Rand are in another, and then Moraine. Lan and now Nynaeve are in another, and Moraine's current uh, status is incapacitated. She is probably on two fails of her death die right now. So yeah, we are... if she rolls under ten one more time, mm -hmm. we're gonna lose her, which is kind of scary. Yeah, and, that's uh, uh, that's an interesting choice, Rafe. Uh, let's not do that. <laughs> I would think that uh, this is. I, I mentioned this during the watch along too, which you can always uh, go over to our Patreon and subscribe if you want to listen to because we are hilarious. Spoiler um, heavy, by the way. I we have to say that it, it like yeah. very spoiler heavy. Watch the show maybe first and then watch along with us, but also then yeah. maybe read 14 books because we do not shut the fuck up about Realistically, what if you're gonna if you're gonna do the watch along, I mean like probably have watched it once already because we're gonna talk all over the fucking mm -hmm. episode. So mm -hmm. that said, I, I think they've definitely taken away something from episode one, which I mentioned, which was the fact that uh, Tam Althor gets hurt. Rand has a very hard time getting him back to the town in the book, and during that time Rand has like this or excuse me, Tam has this like feverish uh, babbling where he's talking about the past and, and things that Rand overhears that definitely has an effect on him. That doesn't happen in the show, which was very much upsetting for me. But it's almost like they took that, they slapped it onto Moraine instead, because we see her while she's sick whispering Suin, uh, which is, of course, Suin Sanchi, which is the, uh, I was going to say the Flame of Tarvalon, but that's not her name, the Amaryllan Sea. So the person who's in charge of all the Aes Sedai, as I'm coming to say it now. I don't like but it. Aes Sedai. I switched from pop to soda when I moved to the West Coast, so I can do this. I moved from pop to soda when I had to stop sounding like an idiot. So, 
really bringing in the Midwest listeners. I've never said pop, guys. What the heck? <laughs> okay, so the party is like fully split right now, which made this the most disjointed storyline-wise of the series so far. But I actually did feel like every line, it wasn't like A, B, and C story. It was all like A, A, and A minus story kind of going on. Like all of them still have their own gravity, which also is kind of the reason why I enjoy the novels so much is because... You could just have a character not be in a book for the whole time, and you're like, ah, I kind of miss them, but they're off doing their own thing. Then you'll have seven chapters of one party, and then another five chapters of another party. You kind of get to go back and forth at a pace that doesn't burn you out on any any which character. I will say that I really enjoyed this look of Nynaeve, because I think this is the first time that we actually see her truly like use her healing abilities and healing powers here. Because this is like a pretty integral part of her as like the wisdom, right? And like, I, I don't know if we really see very much of this. There's like a scene in the first episode where she's like tying off a man's leg for bleeding and then he just dies. Um, she was 0 for 1 for a while, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually great. And then I will say that there is some great scenes between her and Lan. I really actually enjoy the way that they're portraying these two characters and the interest that the two of them are showing each other, right? Because you have this scene where Nynaeve comes and you just feel, like, you see her blade. And then you just have Lan being like, how did you track me? Um, and him immediately being very interested in her ability um, to find him, who is, I guess, I'm assuming he's supposed to be very good at hiding their tracks, given that he's a warder. Yeah, I think that the dynamic that they're really leaning on here between the two of them is that she's formidable. She's not weak. She's not someone that he needs to take care of. She's someone that could present herself as an obstacle to him, which she does initially. And I think he definitely is like, God damn, like this is doing it for me. But like, of course, like their first interaction, like she has him, you know, with the knife at his throat and he decides to do the whole thing, like from the hostage negotiator handbook where it's like, we both know you're not going to hurt me. And then she tries to kill him. And he's like, you actually tried to kill me. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was super funny. I also thought that for him, it's going to make him know, like, do not cross her. Like, she is here for a reason, and even though she is, you know, not someone who looks like a murderer, which he obviously took her for, like, oh, you wouldn't hurt me, she is not fucking around. Like, she means what she says, you're going to need to respect what she says, and the fact that she is a formidable human being means you're going to have to handle her differently than you would have thought. And I really like that juxtaposition of he thought she was weak, and immediately she proved him wrong, even if it didn't work out for her, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, they're both on the same side in the grand scheme of things, but Lan is a protector of Moraine, and he doesn't care about anything else. Nynaeve is the protector of everybody in the two rivers and doesn't care about anything else. They are actually at odds on the same side here, so it's funny that, as you said, they're like obstacles for each other to a certain degree, but they're going to have to... The Venn diagram of their common goals has got a very small sliver in there that will increase in, in, in size over time. Right. Uh, so one of the things that I thought was interesting as well about Nynaeve is after we see her come back into the party. All right, party Garrett, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you because I think <laughs> you are starting to infringe on my who's hot on twat. <laughs> and I, I want to make sure that we make time for that today. That is a felony. You cannot infringe on who's hot on twat. Who's hot on twat. <laughs> um, because, of course, today's who's hot on twat is Nynaeve. And I just wanted to make sure that we actually recognize that. I think, you know, I, I, I felt a little bad and I had a little debate with myself of whether or not I should have picked Tom or Nynaeve because I realized the last two episodes I just picked the other women um, in the show. But I had to go with Nynaeve because, first of all, the episode starts with her killing a Trolloc 
and she's just amazing. And then, like, it switches back to her being the wisdom, you know, embracing her healing powers, but also, like, having the ability to confront Lan, who I think up until this point we've gotten to the sense that maybe he's kind of this Aragorn badass character um, who doesn't take anyone's shit, but she's like, you will take my shit. I think the fact that she kind of makes the standout of, you know what, I wasn't the chosen one, I wasn't one of the four, but I'm still going to insert myself here and make sure you know that I am the protector of my people, that I am going to stand up to you and try to kill you if you try to hurt people from the two rivers is commendable, which is why she is my selection today for who's hot on twat. I'm also assuming that weighed heavily into your decision today, Faye, was that braid toss? Absolutely, that braid toss, exactly. <laughs> awesome. I'm gonna braid my hair like that now and just like toss it whenever I say something really cool. <laughs> After you slaughter <laughs> an abomination in a fucking game. <laughs> I think this uh, absolutely, it's who's hot on twat, by the way, because Zoe Robbins, like, holy shit. Yeah. The only way I can describe the way she acted through this entire episode was that this big naive energy. It's like, <laughs> do not fuck with her. It was awesome. The dialogue in this one was a lot more quippy and had a lot more one-liners. I'm not sure if that's the dialogue actually just being elevated or if, if we are now kind of falling into a more comfortable association with these characters so that we are just getting like their personalities starting to come out. I think if you're learning from this show, like how to do a show, uh, it's a really good lesson to learn that if you want an actor to find their voice, let them talk. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Like just letting them have dialogue with each other. It's like they actually seem to have genuine connections to each other. Like parents connection to a is very much like a brother and sister relationship in my eyes, which I think is being portrayed very well. And he like Heron gets to speak and he is like, he's not upset. He's not like freaking out. He's very calm. He's like, this is what we have to do because I know Rand. And he's just very much like how I read him. He's calm, he's thoughtful, but most importantly, like he is taking control of a situation that is freaking everyone else out because someone basically has to do it. And he's like giving Aguin those like reassuring words. So just listening to him talk to Aguin during like their scene where they're lighting the fire, I was just like, this is great. Like this is what parents should be right now. And I was finally happy to hear him like become that character a little bit more. So we have Perrin and Egwene. They actually are just, there's, there's more wolf uh, interaction that Perrin actually has. And they are led to the Tuathawan, which is the Tinkers, which is the uh, free folk, I think they're called. Something Traveling like that. Traveling people. Traveling I think they're people. also called the free folk, yeah. But there's a lot of names to these people. And we meet Aram, and I made a Counting Crows joke in our watch along, <laughs> and, and it, it probably fell flat to everybody else, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they look, they look interesting. All of the colored wagons and also their, uh, their mismatched garb along with the, you know, have you heard the song or do you know the song? Yeah, for a, a group of people that's supposed to be very welcoming and taking folks in, Approaching in the way they did doesn't seem like it's the best method, especially if you're like pacifists. Yeah. And again, we're, we're meeting some pacifists here. They haven't really gone into it too much yet, but it's like you're almost stoking confrontation by sneaking up on people and be like, do you know the song? Yeah, that was hostile. Like, also, how about like your introductions <laughs> go first, then ask them if they know the song? Like, right. it's so dumb. Yeah, and it was also like, you have to respond this way. That's the important bit, because if you don't, we'll fucking kill you. Yeah, it's like, what happens if I don't, huh? Pacifist? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? We it was just give very you weird. Our delicious, delicious non. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you don't get any food, which, I, I mean, that's like a sentence that's like death for these people at this exact moment. 
But yeah, I thought they did a good job with like showing the brightness of the colors and they didn't really decide to like go too heavy handed with the exposition and say like, oh yeah, we're the traveling folk. We always wear stuff that makes us stand out. Uh, they're just like, here's a bowl of food and we'll talk to you a little bit about like our bad reputation and then not tell you what they're actually about. <laughs> I guess that's for episode four in a little bit, but. Mm -hmm. I really started paying attention a little bit more to everybody's like, you know, wardrobe on, on this one. and. You just see Rand take his coat off, and then he has like these, not like leather working, but they're like, they're almost like gardening carpenter pants, but they're leather that kind of ride high in his waist that he can like put his knife in and have like tools and stuff. It looks really cool. I think they did a great job with that. I'm noticing a lot of uh, Egwene has colored feathers on the back of her braid. You know, you're seeing a little bit more close up of like their jewelry and stuff. And there's just so much detail that's bringing all of these characters to life. And then you have the Tinkers that came in and it was just like, wow. They're described as having um, an explosion of color on, on everything they wear. And it's just like, oh, how crazy. Are they, these, they, they wear purple pants, like, oh my gosh. And you see them and they look great. It did look like kind of a uh, summer, you know, uh, electronic dance music festival. Yeah. Uh, like, Goers, EDM but, in the Westlands. Cool. Yeah. Have you heard the song? We are also going to Burning Man. Uh, <laughs> Do you know when the beat drops? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that they did a good job. And just, I don't know. There's, with us not really being in cities until we get to Rand and Matt's storyline here, we got a lot of interesting stuff to look at in the open country in the wild. I, I will say that the, what I like about the show and what it's doing is that it's highlighting the amount of like culture that I think like Robert Jordan puts into his books, right? He very much distinctly talks about how differently people dress and how they sound and how they look. And I think they're doing a great job in showing that in the like different clothing, the different like types of people that are coming into this world. And like what you said, Garrett, is like they're making their clothes seem like there's utility to like what they're wearing. That's like, a really this good is actually point. clothing like, that they, yeah, exactly. These like, are that people they actually that are like use these country bumpkins leaving town for the first time, which as someone who grew up in the Midwest in the middle of nowhere, it's like anytime you sort of go to a new place, you're like, God, everyone here is so weird. You know, you have like that feeling. It's like, no, they're really not. They're just slightly different, but it's like, it's off putting at first because you're not used to it. So it's like seeing it through their eyes. It's mm -hmm. like, there's so many people they're going to have to meet along this journey. And each person is just so like similar and different at the exact same time, but they only see these differences. Mm -hmm. Which is funny too, because the character we're gonna discuss after this break calls it out right away. He says something to the effect of clothing and accent is really, yeah. really telling of who you are. Right, so we have been introduced to Adam. Tom Marilyn for the first time. Thank God. I'm so happy because he is a very important character. He's a very fun character, but when we get introduced to him for the first time, he looks a bit different, which I'm fine with. He has a solid look. He has a Gleeman's cloak, which is if you see on the inside of his cloak, you can see those patches. Uh, in this universe, Like if you want people to notice you as a Gleeman, you turn that cloak inside out. So people can be like, oh shit, there's a Gleeman. And this, he's a little bit more muted. But he's also kind of a dick. He, uh, he helps Matt and Rand uh, initially because their money is lifted off of Matt. And he decides to show him that it was lifted and then not give it back to him. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a dick move because they wouldn't tip him because they're incredibly poor. 
Uh, but then, of course, like we get to see a little bit more of him, which is nice because we, we want to learn more about this character. I think it's very easy for a show that has so many characters to just be like, and there's another person now. But mm -hmm. yes, there is. He's important, and he's going to help these characters out because they are definitely lost, which, you know, we have this whole tavern scene where we get introduced to a character that's essentially like the barmaid slash proprietor. It almost seems like she's in charge, even though she's yeah. young. Until she has like a line of dialogue where she's like, I don't care. Like, I, I don't get paid for the rooms. I drink on the job. We're like, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm you like, can, that's fine. And uh, I just, I thought that was a little bit odd, but I was like, okay, cool. I think they might be blending several stops that they make along the way, which indeed they did. Uh, and it shows, more importantly, they're starting to become some lingering effects. And I am very curious whether or not people that have not read the books are taking this as Matt is just a dick, or if it's like something's wrong with Matt because they haven't had a lot of time to show Matt is not like this guy who is constantly upset and angry, which they kind of portrayed him as in episode one. Episode two, he was like, look, I get it. Everything's tense, but we have to follow her. She shoots fireballs. It's in our best interest to stay <laughs> near her. And he has like this humor to him. And then in this wood chopping scene, he's just like, everyone's probably already dead, you know? And it's it seems like, I don't know if they've given enough time. I, they really should have started Matt's character off as like the guy who's happy despite his circumstances mm -hmm. rather than the guy who's upset because of his circumstances because now I think there's the water is very muddied here whether or not he's having an effect from this dagger he's carrying or if he's just an asshole yeah I, I think uh, I think you had it right um, he wasn't super optimistic in the first place and had he been which that's how I always read him would we be seeing him now as like just travel worn or is something happening we don't know yeah, I don't know if this is the way the actor chose to play the character or if mm -hmm. this is how he was directed, but I'm like, as this season goes on, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm looking forward to season two to see what the new Matt's going to do. <laughs> I Yeah, I still haven't like come to terms with that, mainly because I like this actor, Barney. Um, he looks I like good. Him. He has the look of Matt for yeah. sure. And he's funny. He's charismatic when he wants to be, but it's like, I don't think they've really given him a lot to work with. Uh-huh. And also, we've only known him for three episodes and... I don't know. Maybe I'll actually feel uh, uh, some loss when we transition to the next doctor. You know, we'll see. It's weird <laughs> to think of it like if you think of it because we have this massive comparison between Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time, uh, which is definitely set up by the fact that Amazon wants to talk about it. But think about the character of like Ned Stark or any of his kids, you know, or Theon Greyjoy or Jon Snow. How much more did you know about their characters three episodes in than we know about like most of these characters? And there's also a lot of characters in that series, but I just feel like they did a much better job of through dialogue, letting these people show you who they are. And so when it comes to people that we still have questions on, I'm like, this is a weakness that the show needs to fix. And they're starting to go the right direction by letting these characters interact with one another. Oh, sure. We do not need their full backstory, but we do need their personality. And that's what's starting to come through, through the dialogue. So yeah, Matt having <laughs> uh, in episode two, he was just like, okay, two things land. Number one, that was way more words than you said this whole day. Like it's, it's like, yeah, he's a smartass. Probably love ever. It. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. And and yeah, he was uh, snarky in in uh, this one with Rand a lot as well, which was just was just good. Yeah, the dialogue is just really. That's why that's why I was saying earlier, the dialogue's either better or we're just starting to become associated with these characters enough that we are enjoying them probing a little bit into more like Matt's character here. One of the things that they kind of use to drive him in the show that I don't really see in the books is this, his like need for money and his like insecurity of money, right? Because we kind of get this scene of him being really poor. He has these two sisters that like basically he has to support because his parents aren't 
don't seem like great parents. Um, which then brings us to, you know, his thought of seeing this like crystal and potentially like money on this Aielman. So I just wanted to like bring us over to talk a little bit more about this first introduction to the Aiel. I thought this thing's garb looks awesome. Holy crap. It's like, uh, yeah, I completely agree. It reminds me, I still haven't seen, uh, again, we're tracking this November 20th of 2021. I haven't seen the new Dune yet, but I got such like Freeman vibes from not like the color and the actual style. Like, of course, that's not the same thing, but it looked very utilitarian, comfortable, and also armored at the same time. I thought this just looked fantastic to see on a dead person on top of that. I wasn't even seeing them interact or, or move around and stuff. Everything, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed grieves. seeing a dead person look dangerous. It's like you don't often like I'm dead serious too. Like you yeah. don't often see a dead person where you're like, oh wow, like he looks like he could fuck someone up. But like looking at him, like the fact that he had like some sort of like armor over like this like cloth garb that's clearly meant for you know function and not fashion. But mm-hmm. uh, I think they they depicted it. It looked great. And like Faye was mentioning, this scene where Matt's there to basically scavenge the body. Uh, we finally get Tom Marilyn coming back over and you get to see like who Tom Marilyn actually is based off of the fact that he's coming to bury this person. He lets you know like this wasn't justice. This was uh, some cowards killing him because they were afraid because they've probably heard the thing that then Matt says like, oh, they're just as bad as Trollocs. And Tom corrects him like, no, they're really not. They're an honor bound people and they're very fierce. Like these these people will fuck you up, but they wouldn't because you haven't given them a reason to and they care about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they have this interaction between Matt and Tom where Matt's uh, finally honest with him. He's like, I'm fucking poor and I'm trying to get home and I need money. And he's like, we've all had desperate moments. He's like, just let me know when you're done. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a very Tom Marilyn thing. Like, I love the fact that that actor seems to really understand his character because his character is fucking awesome. You don't really have to do too much to change him. Like, just be the wise old man that's going to teach these kids something and also mm-hmm. seems dangerous. They made him seem a lot more dangerous than his introduction was yeah. typically, but that said, Tom Merrill is one of the most dangerous people in this whole fucking series. And it's like, <laughs> he has daggers and his wit, and that's it. And I really like that in a series that has magic and has all these formidable people that wear these ridiculous colors, and you have the A.S. Sedai or I.S. Sedai or however you say it, they have this character who plays a fucking guitar, looks like Chad Kroger from Nickelback, and has daggers. <laughs> and I'm like, yet I still love him to death. So yeah. what I love about this scene is that um, he points out, you know, like, this is definitely an Aielman. Um, you don't see hair like that outside of the Aiel waist. And I love this, like, moment of subtlety, which this show, I think, up until this point has been very lacking. Because, of course, the only other person we see with this color hair is Rand. And I feel very much like they could have done a whole, like, flash to Rand. And then we see his hair and then flashback, yeah. which they didn't. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> but I mean, it was still there enough to supplant the idea into the viewer's head. Like, well, we have seen this before, too. So they, I mean, you're absolutely right. They did a good job of not insulting the audience by mm-hmm. by doing a classic C say, you know, having like an Olin Mills photo of Rand, like popping up in the right hand corner, just fading <laughs> in like, this is yeah. what we mean. Hmm. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, it looks like Rand's hair, like some dialogue <laughs> they could have tossed in. From yeah, Matt would have been like, he, right. looks like he, bl- he looks like a flaming Rand right now. Yeah. We do have more about uh, Rat and Ma- Rat Rat and Mand. Oh, guys, I told you it's been it's been a long weekend uh, Rat so far. Rand and Matt, but we're gonna circle back to them near the end of the episode here. But let's go back to Perrin and Egwene. 
they had a, a moment where they're caught in the cold, literally, and uh, Perrin is having a hard time spark a fire. Yeah, so I was, I was mentioning the dialogue between these two characters, and I didn't uh, happen to mention at the time that, you know, Perrin's struggling to light this fire, and this is very much a parallel of a scene from the book. Uh, and I think we should definitely make it where if, I re if I've referenced the book, everyone has to drink if you're listening to this from now on. Even if it's like noon or you're at work, you better have something to drink. But in the, scene, in the scene of the book, uh, you know, Egwene's been introduced to the fact that she has the power. She's actually very excited. Everyone knows that at this point she wants to become something more than what they thought she was. And uh, she tries to use the power and it fails. And in this particular case, they show you, you know, Perrin is struggling to get this fire lit. And she just sort of takes it upon herself to try and channel for the first time solo without Moraine guiding her. And then, despite the fact that you see, like, no ember fly off of Perrin's, like, flintstone or whatever it's called, uh, it, this fire st uh, starts. And Perrin isn't stupid. Perrin notices it. And he says, like, was that me or you? But one of my favorite parts of this interaction is he's like, can you try channeling us some food and water? Because he's, not, he's not the guy, he's not the character who's going to be like, did you just use the power? I can't believe you would do that, which is something Rand would do. Or Matt, who would be like paranoid of it. Perrin's just the guy that's like, thank you. We're fucking freezing to death and we needed the fire. I really appreciate it. And I'll be like kind in my snark. And uh, I really enjoyed the fact that they kind of took the scene, they reversed what happened, but they're still kind of true to the entire idea of why they were doing that. Like it was desperation, they needed it. And so later on in that scene, after we come back to them, we actually understand that uh, we're back in one of Perrin's dreams again. And we have these two glowing eyes. The jungle came alive and took them. <laughs> the fact Fuck that they had the predator in the yeah, window was... <laughs> for a second was pretty cool because, like, you see it in the background. Garrett mentioned, like, it kind of reminds me of Hill House because yeah. you're so trained to look at windows and, like, the background, which I thought was cool. Seeing the glowing eyes, which is just so characteristic of uh, these first couple of books, plaguing and haunting our heroes in their dreams, which is so horribly Freddy Krueger. You get a better glimpse as to what's happening here. I don't like scary movies, and so I was very <laughs> sad that I did not have my usual pillow to hide behind because this was scary, and that's like that's good. Um, I'm not saying like you know I hated it because it was scary, but it's actually supposed to be scary, and it frightens the crap out of Perrin, right? Mm -hmm. um, which it's supposed to, and you know it's similarly. I think we also get that scary feeling from the last episode, where the same like the same kind of eyes have been haunting the other two characters as well. One thing that, I, that I'm still not coming to grips with here is that they're trying to make Perrin into this protector because he feels so guilty about what happens with his wife. And now they're overlaying that with like the wolf dream. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. I was very annoyed that the wolf was like snacking on the corpse yes. of his wife because the wolves are not a prop to be used in the dream to scare someone. At no point in this series are they ever that because the wolves themselves, without getting too spoilery, uh, they have agency in the world of dreams. You know, they wouldn't be something that the I probably shouldn't even say his name because they haven't said it nope. yet, but this guy with glowing eyes, this character with glowing eyes, uh, you know, seems to be just manipulating these dreams to scare. First, we saw the bat that Rand had stuck in his throat in the first dream. Now we have this wolf that's uh, eating this uh, corpse that's just rotting. And I, I was really annoyed, like, you could have chosen something else to be eating her. Like, why not a Trolloc? Why not something yeah. that would be in his dreams? Rather than, like, the one thing that Perrin should be identifying with right now as, like, it came up, they surrounded him, they came up to him, they left him alone, you know? So They it, helped him. They, they even said, it's like the wolves led us to these tracks. Like, yeah. the wolves mm -hmm. got them out of their, their predicament. Yeah, you know? so I thought that was a kind of an odd choice. I do like the fact, like Faye mentioned, like, this is scary. 
Like, it's meant to be scary. I like the fact that you're associating this character with the red eyes as scary. And like Garrett mm-hmm. said, like, or whoever it was that actually said this, like, it's like Freddy Krueger. You know, yeah. they're, they're haunting you in your dreams. Like, that's a terrifying thing to think of because, like, that's not just a boogeyman. Like, that is a character. And I like the fact that they're associating, like, you should be afraid of this person. So mm-hmm. I like the I like the idea that they're building on the dream. I thought the wolf that was the only part about that dream that I was annoyed about. Like it shouldn't have been a wolf. They should have picked something else. No, I totally agree. I like I liked the rest of the dream. I completely was like not about the scene where he sees his wife and the wolf like snacking on her. The only thing I will say in defense of it is the three of us. We've got additional information that hasn't been coming out here from the viewer who hasn't read the source material. What they could probably associate this is just normal dream logic. What is on your mind as it's happening? Perrin is constantly plagued with the guilt that he killed his wife, and then they're also being, what he thinks is just like hunted to a degree, or at least hounded by these wolves, and they just kind of mash themselves together in his dream. Maybe this is kind of like the the spark that is going to push that even further. I actually don't think that this is true, but that is a slight defense that I'll come to the show for. I will say too, the fact that the wolf was snacking on his wife and it was so brutal, like it's not like, oh, she, they're just, you know, his muzzles deep in her uh, exposed cavity. It's like pulling out her Can intestines. you say that again, but just a little bit slower this time for me, Garrett? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's actually like pulling out organ tissue. And we saw that brutality with the Trollocs and that's what we want to associate with the Trollocs is that sort of level of brutality. We don't want to have that with the wolves unless we're just setting up a sort of a red herring right now. But also in this dream, we also have the uh, the literal boogeyman that is, that is plaguing these kids. So I don't know. I guess the one thing that I'm still not over with is just this, the death, this creation of this character to advance a male narrative, right? Because I think Robert Jordan is like so good in his books about not using female characters to kill them off or to make them hurt or something to advance them this male narrative. And he, they do this so well in the show with the other characters, right? They have Nynaeve, who's like a super badass. They have Egwene, who very quietly in her own right is now coming into the one power. And then right after this dream tells Perrin, you know, you don't have to protect me because like you see her like creating that fire, you see that she has this power that's coming to her. But like Layla is just like such the antithesis of this. She's there and then she just dies. And now she's just there to drive Perrin's character development. Yeah. And I hate it. I just hate I it. I agree. Yeah. Like I mentioned it in the first couple episodes, like I hate fridging characters. It always happens to female characters. You can have male motivation without killing off someone that they care about. It drives me fucking crazy that they took a series that is so, well done when it comes to writing female characters and avoiding that trope and they're just like hey let's cram this character in here for like 60 seconds and kill them off for no other reason than this character doesn't have strong enough motivation unless they're traumatized so Mm -hmm. it's just like i i was i've almost been hoping like maybe they won't reference the wife again because i think it was a huge mistake um, but clearly they're going to keep going back to parents trauma of you know what happened when he accidentally killed her uh, and it's it's just, it's a poor decision. It really is. Yeah, none of us are happy with it. Wrapping up, the most exciting part of this episode was the the Rand and Matt storyline. They've already met Tom. We have some exposition with the Aiel. And then, you know, Rand has a interaction with this bartender. I think her name was Dana. And barkeep or bar owner, bar 
something. Who knows? Um, but they get very familiar with one another. You know, you think there might be some more sexy time happening, which would have been fine. You know, I, I was actually like, ah, this might be cool to, to introduce a little bit. I more think me and Faye were like, kids, no, you know? Rand, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. We were like screaming at them during the watch along. Oh, it would have been fine. But then uh, what, what is really making me appreciate the show is they are doing some, like, I know a lot of what should be happening, but then I still am getting surprised at times when cool things do. And when she like embarrassingly got up, was like, oh, I've made a fool of myself. I took a pass at you. You weren't, you weren't picking up what I was putting down. And she goes to the door and it's like a switch is flipped in her eyes. And she's like, I shouldn't have braided my hair. Yeah. I was like, and you're what like, the fuck is she saying right now? Exactly. And when these moments are happening, you get chills that it's like a, it's like a trust no one situation happens. And then Rand comes to the realization that this is the first time we're being properly introduced to a dark friend. Yes. Yeah. They did it so well. It's like this person who was kind, but kind of mean, you thought you can trust she's normal. You finally realize like, no, no, no. Like there are some people that are straight up evil in the show mm -hmm. and they are really good at hiding. And she was charismatic. They gave so much exposition, which I loved every single bit of it, that it was like, he, you guys are in my dreams. I am being commanded or told like, uh, that, that you need to be brought in. You need to be brought into our like dark masters and, and to blah, the blah, dark blah. one. They yeah. fi you yeah. finally get like the name of the dark one from someone else. And uh, I also thought it was very interesting that Rand is trapped in this room and she's like, there's takes three men like twice your size to knock down that that door. And then we have this scene where he's just like, I'm going to make my angry face and knock it down now. <laughs> it's just like, oh, shit. And, uh, you know, that's something that's a little bit odd. And we'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, absolutely. This character is just like this is a really good example of how if you want to condense stuff, if you want to make things go faster, if you want to change your pacing, rather than have like three or four towns you're going to stop in, have it be one. So I think this is a good spot where I can transition into at camera two. WTF, Rafe. Rafe. Rafe, I know we've had our ups. We've had our downs. I think it's actually half and half at this point. But I got to say, <laughs> my biggest problem with episode one was the pacing breakneck speed, as Garrett likes to call it. I completely agree that that's something that we are having a problem with so far in this show. And the best way to avoid it is if you're trying to move past multiple things and condense the storyline down is to handle it exactly how it was handled at this shitty podunk town that Rand and Matt find themselves in, which is an amalgamation of a bunch of other ones. We get to see Tom Marilyn arrive. We get to meet dark friends. We get to see them locked in the room. And although there's even a departure of how they get out of that room, I'm okay with it, Rafe, because you're finally starting to include all the things at once rather than pick one, exclude, and power forward. So I think you did a really good job on this one. What the fuck, Rafe? He's going to kill you one of these days. He's going to find you. Of course, she's grandstanding. She's talking about the Dark One and how she's going to be raised up and the last person. And we get the name drop of Ishmael, which is how you should say it, not Ishmael, yeah. which was why when she's grandstanding and telling them, like, she's going to be the one that brings him in, she gets a dagger in the back of the neck. Yeah, which, and, and I have two responses to what you're saying right there. The dagger is great because Tom, in a very Mal Reynolds kind of way, zero question about it. You named yourself as a bad person. You're dead. 
you were yeah, dead. It's not even eyes. like she's a jerk bad person. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. She's evil. Yeah. She worships the kind of devil. Yeah. So that is one less person we need to worry about on the playing field here. They're dead and they're gone. And I'm, that's such a great character choice. I like the idea that he has the same mentality as Moraine. You know? Sure. Moraine's like, we got to take down your fairy. What about my family on this side? Like, well, they're fucked, bro. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Like, Tom's like, hey, she said she's a dark friend. She what said you- she's trying to take you to the dark one. And she called a fade. She's going to die. And at this point, the boys are like, yeah, East is good. East is good. Yeah. Let's go with him. <laughs> yeah, it's but they're like, motivated motiv- the by fear. Is. They're motivated by fear. And not to say that Tom isn't, but Tom is also more logical. Like, there are no other options. This thing dies along with everything else that's going to be associated with it. The part that I really wanted to get out is her speech at the end here was kind of chilling. It was the first time that I ever felt mild sympathy to any of the dark friends because- That was exactly what I was gonna say, Garrett. It's like, I felt bad for this girl. Well, I didn't necessarily feel bad, but I felt that this person, by taking the traveling party, taking them into the dark one, it's going to end all the pain and suffering that we have. And I didn't feel bad about that. It's just a difference of opinion that we have here too. It's like, you know, all bad guys in history don't think that they're bad. They think that they're, they're good. They think they're right. And I've never read this or have been feeling it from that side of this too. The white cloaks are the closest example to that where we don't agree with their methods, but they're like, no, you have to walk in the light. You need to be good. They will snuff out every single person that disagrees with them because that means in their eyes that they are walking in the dark or whatever the case may be. This was a great introduction to the, not like opposing faction, but essentially the the darker side of the light, which that's what Marine stands for and what rails against them. And I, I think this is the first time that we kind of get this sense that, you know, the world is not doing well, right? Like you get Eamon's Field, which is very idyllic. It's very Shire, you know, these people, like they don't have much, but Beltine seems really cool. They're drinking, they're having fun. There's a lot of laughter in that like first 15 minutes of that episode. But like, it's really here, I think in this episode where you kind of get to the grittiness of yeah, there's war going on. Yeah, like there's bad stuff going on in the South, but actually that's right here, right? Like we see people and they're suffering and there's war, there's famine, whatever going on. And like, that's what's driving her. And that's why I felt bad for her. I was like, yeah, I want to get rid of that stuff too. And if the way to do it is to turn in these boys to the dark one and I'm promised that these things will stop, hey. I think she really shows you the dual side of this motivation because when it comes to dark friends, there's two things that motivate them. And I think they really depicted How do they convince folks that are lower class in this world that are looked down on by everyone else to help to join the dark one rather than stay in the light? And she she says both of them. One, the world sucks. The world sucks, let it end, I hate it, there's nothing but pain and suffering. But the first thing she says is like, it doesn't matter who I am, it matters who I'm gonna be. Because the thing that they lure both, like the poor class and the high class with is power. Like, well, if the dark one wins and you helped, like you get to be at his side. Like you'll be one of those folks like Ishmael, who's super known, obviously, and you don't have too much information about him yet, but it's it's this idea of we're gonna move you from where you're at and elevate you to a position of power over other people. And even though it's like essentially going to be either the end of all things or hell on earth, you'll be in charge. And I think that really appeals to both the high and the low, and she references it right away. And it definitely, appeals to me because I went, wow, great. Now we actually have some good proper conflict, not just, oh, the bad guys are trying to fight the good guys. They have opposing yeah. moral philosophies at this <laughs> Man, point. Man, bear, pig, and the leech man are chasing us. <laughs> no, like now you get an idea of some of the stakes here. Sure. 
the very last thing that we have is we're back in the Lan and uh, Moraine and Nynaeve party, and we come across a handful of Ace Sedai. Leandrin Sedai, who is a very formidable and intimidating-looking lady, uh, states that they have captured a man who is claiming to be the Dragon Reborn. And then we see a lot of Aya Sedai around this guy's cage that he's in, and he looks very, very unhappy. This is a character who we are all familiar with, but uh, we will not spoil that for anyone because we're probably going to be hearing a lot more about him in episode four. Uh, so it's the cliffhanger ending that you don't really know is a cliffhanger ending if you don't know who that person is. Uh, but for people I think who are more fans of the book, I think this had a bigger impact. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's how we wrap up this episode. Sure. And that was an excellent way, I think, to do it because it just teases. We have now who is this gentleman who's in a cage surrounded by Ace Sedai. And then number two, we're going to see a fade right proper, yep. hopefully in the next one. All right. Overall impressions. Um, Faye, what did you think? I liked it. I mean, I, I think I was having some doubts, as you will probably see on my review in, for episode one, but episode two and episode three have redeemed themselves, and I am very excited to see what comes. Um, I thought that they developed their characters really well this time around, and I really do like the fact that we're you know starting to get a little bit more character development, a little bit more of promise in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I was very, very upset after episode one. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to punish myself for however long this show lasts. Episode two kind of changed that for me. Episode three, I mentioned to Garrett too, like, let's, I'm really hoping it's not going to go back and forth, like, bad episode, good episode, bad episode, good episode. And this one made me feel like I am actually excited to see episode four. Uh, I think it was solid, good character development, like Faye mentioned. I will say there's a character missing for me, um, and he is someone who I think is a, a really important plot point. I don't know if he's going to show up very much like a Tom Maryland situation where he shows up a little bit later. Don't know if it's going to happen or not. I could see it if they cut him, so that's something that was prominent in my mind while I was watching it. But overall, I think it was a good episode. I still think episode two is a little bit stronger, so that is the greatest episode of The Wheel of Time that's ever <laughs> been released. But this is the second greatest episode of The Wheel of Time that's ever been released. Mm-hmm. I don't need to talk about this any further. I, I gush on it. Adam, I'm pretty sure it was you that pointed it out that you think this is why they released all three episodes right off the bat is because they, even the showrunners, even the creators didn't feel that episode one was strong enough to bring enough people in. They were like, you know what, let's give them two and three because that would hook them by the third. I was skeptical of one, even though I did enjoy it after I let it sit for a little while. I liked it. Seeing two, I was already in at like, you know, minute five in it. Uh, Hopefully a lot more watchers of the show are already hooked by this third episode now. And it's just giving them more encouragement to go further of it. Adam and I have a mutual friend who texts both of us at the same time saying, hey, so my wife wants to start reading the books now. Uh, can you guys lend her their copy? <laughs> I have always had this uh, mentality in me of like a drug dealer. I don't <laughs> deal drugs, but like anytime I found something I really liked, I would like give it to people I knew, like, like this with me. So like if I played a video game when I was a kid, like that was multiplayer, I would like lend my copy to them so they would get addicted to it and be like, <laughs> no, give it back. And I just like look in their eyes and wait for the withdrawals to hit. So I'd be like, yeah, like you're going to enjoy this with me. So just give her book one mm-hmm. and then she'll buy books two and three on her own. Yeah, no, I don't want to sound stingy about that or anything. But I, if I could tell you how many times I have not received books back or I get them back and the covers like ripped in half, I'm like, or they break the spine. These are, these are my ex- trophies. <laughs> I have yeah. expected you to send a PDF in the chat. Like, just give her this. I was going to do that. Actually. <laughs> I knew you were. I knew you were. <laughs> I'll even type it out for you word for word. So if you all want to reach out to us, we have an email address. It is contact at wheeloftimepodcast.com. If you want to check out our website, it is wheeloftimepodcast.com. 
There's other ways you can get there. You can type in twatsatwats.com, goes to the same spot. Or the Wheel of Time Show at the Wheel of Time Show. <laughs> the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com. Uh, and right now what we have up there is a uh, podcast player if you want to listen to your episodes through there. We are going to have episode reviews, which will be very quick. Garrett has a lot of things going on in his life, so his are going to be relatively short. Mine are going to be relatively short. Faye's are going to be a little bit longer because she he just has a, a lot more to say because I think this is a little bit newer to her. Uh, but most importantly, you can kind of see what we're thinking if you don't have the time to listen to the episode on the spot. You can check those out. Uh, and then uh, aside from that, there's a little bit of an About Us bio, and we're just going to add stuff as it comes. So go ahead and check us out there. I love the show. I'm so glad that everybody else is here. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time. Listener, I love you. And today is going to be the day that they're going to throw it back to you. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you guys so much.